0: Welcome to another edition of the Xamarin Podcast. I'm Pierce Bogan, and I'm joined by the Mike James. Mike, how are you doing today?
1: Uh, I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Pierce?
0: I'm excellent. It's starting to snow here in Boston, though the weather's starting to change it up a little bit for me. It hasn't snowed yet, um, so this is my first big snow and I'm soaking wet right now uh, from my walk into the office. So it's going to take some adjustment, but I'm getting there.
1: Yeah, because you grew up in the heat, didn't you?
0: I did. It snowed like two times the entire first 20 years of my life, and now it's snowed like twice in the last two weeks, so I don't know what to do. <laughs> You've got completely the wrong wardrobe for it. That's right. And we're also joined today by the infamous, the great James Montevagnu.
2: No, oh, hey, how's it going? It's good to be here.
0: How are you today, James?
2: I am quite splendid, very lovely. It's a beautiful day in here in Seattle, Washington. Uh, Actually, surprisingly, it hasn't really rained much like you would expect in the winter here, but it is gonna be almost 60 degrees this weekend. So take that, Pierce. You should probably just come out, hang out in Seattle. It's lovely, it's lovely. I came came and visited recently and I love Seattle. I could totally live there. He fell in love, I brought him to the troll uh that we have uh you know the stone troll underneath there and pierce was entertained for about 10 seconds and he's like all right back to snapchatting i loved it and, <laughs> what else i was it was interesting because uh i was like how do i entertain pierce because i was like i was like all right so here's gasworks park and like here's a park and then here's a troll and and here's the market you know it's like what else can i do but uh there's quite a lot in seattle and i quite like it because uh i do like london quite a bit however london's like a thousand times bigger than seattle and seattle is very walkable very scalable now i did walk london when i was there last march uh mike james and it's quite splendid I, I recommend everyone just go out walk all of london the entire thing and then there go are up some parts ha- you know. don't want to walk down that's for sure well i mean sometimes just, sometimes <laughs> yeah you know sometimes you just got to go with it just go whatever whatever happens i mean there's lots of parts of seattle you don't walk down either it's like, it's like be smart you know and you're in a city don't walk down dark alleyways with a backpack Perfect. that has a laptop in it.
0: Or two in your
2: case. Or two 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 laptops. Yeah. And so a ton of phone. I'm doing lovely. It's it's early here, 8 o'clock. You're like, get on at 8 o'clock. I'm like, great, but I got my coffee. It's in a Curious George mug, which is very cool. You guys can see that. That's very and nice. uh, I'm super excited about our uh, what's going on today. I don't even know how. I, how do you guys do this podcast? This is my, what, second time on? So what, what's the flow? What, what are we doing today?
0: Well, we normally cover a little bit about what's been going on in uh, .NET and Xamarin in the last few weeks trying to get people up to date and then we cover a topic of the day and for today, we're going to be covering C sharp six and how it can make your app, excuse me, and how C sharp six can help to clean up your code uh, significantly. So we'll be covering that. But first, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on in .NET in the last week. So Mike, parse is dead.
1: Yeah, it's it's a sad day for a lot of developers, not just .NET developers. Um, I know lots of Swift and Objective C and Java developers that relied on on Parse as a back end. Um, for those of you who don't know what Parse is, it was uh, an it's a back end as a service that was acquired by Facebook a couple of years ago, and it made it really easy, especially for .NET developers, to build cloud connected apps. Um, but I think they had a problem, and maybe you guys disagree, but they had a problem that lots of people wrote throwaway apps with pars. It was kind of the uh, the one offs, they're not going to be looking after them for too long. Uh, they can just send it over to the client and never look at it again. Um, so I don't think they ever managed to properly monetize it. But it's a sad day. And there are Xamarin developers that need to, to move to other services. And there are a few options. Have you guys seen or, or heard of any of the options that are available?
2: Well, i think what's interesting about the whole parse transition is that i was you know i was always super excited about it because it was so drop dead simple It was almost very very comparable to easy tables you know it's just like oh i'm just going to put some stuff however they did a really nice thing is they took json and they would just populate your database and do mapping for you which is crazy
1: yeah and
2: i think it's a sad day just because what the, what the tier was 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 interesting it was a is an app model where they had a huge generous tier it's like, hey, we have this huge tier. You get all this stuff, push notifications. But then essentially, once you got over a threshold, it was like, you know, AWS pricing. It's like a- a- Amazon, AWS. Like, come on in. It's free, baby. It's free. We're yeah. good. And then all of a sudden, it's like, and you're going out of business. So, I mean, because it's so expensive right up because they're expecting you once you read a search certain critical mass that you're then generating money, which isn't even necessarily the case in, in mobile when you look at. At companies, even like the Snapchats and, and the what's who's of the world. Uh, and Insta what's, you know, someone's got to be acquired or something like that. And Snapchats, you know, they're finally monetizing and doing stuff like that. But it's interesting um, to see the active transitions. And I mean, we on uh, the Xamarin blog are always talking about stuff. I know all three of us personally use Azure mobile apps as a, our back end. And I have had a great experience with that. And I know that I think Mayer and also there's been some other posts about taking that Parse backend. So what's interesting about the transition is, Facebook and Parse I said we're going to open source the Parse backend. We're going to give you the source code. You can run this on your own servers, and you can migrate your tools to a MongoDB database. So you're not you're not like totally out of luck. You're going to have to do some work. You know, it's like why. case. Sure. and and I think they've given 12
1: months uh, before you know they're going to switch off the existing backend. So you I think everyone's got enough time now to to plan that migration. But I'd, I don't think that self-hosting your PaaS backend on Azure or AWS is a long-term solution uh, for a lot of apps. I think they, they should be looking to, to migrate to something else such as AWS or app service.
2: Yeah, I mean, essentially those are the two big boys in the market today. I mean, you have Couchbase, uh, DB. Yeah. Uh, you also have some enterprise scenarios from uh, like Oracle and things like that. Uh, if you're course, in the enterprise, so cool. you security, yeah. You know.
1: You've Got convey or convey, which is uh, a little bit like pars, but they don't have uh, such a generous offering that's free, and then it gets quite pricey. But they do have a .NET, uh SDK, and it works with Xamarin with offline sync mm-hmm. and things like that. And it's very nice, it, it is very similar to pars.
2: Yeah, I think what you know, it's as, as the mobile space rapidly is evolving, you know, you're gonna have to always adapt your app. If you look how far Azure mobile services now to mobile uh, apps have come with the options on the back end and on the front end and the integrations. It's very intriguing. They've kept a lot of backwards compatibility. But even if you were building an application four years ago, I mean, you have to dramatically shift that application anyways uh, to really be up to date. So maybe this is a good kick in the behind to, to some companies. I mean, I think it stinks, but, you know, it's actually you're going to rev your application. I mean, totally, you're going to have to do some migration. Uh, my pick is still Azure just because uh, I don't know. It just it, it resonates really heavily with me if I want a full .NET backend, but if I want a Node.js backend, it's there too. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I will say that Azure Notification Hubs blows my mind. So,
0: yeah, I yeah, mean- yeah. And the other cool thing about mm-hmm. Azure is I think when they back when they had uh, what what they call it back in the day, uh, Azure Mobile Services, it was kind of like Easy Tables is now in a way. And then they kind of took that away, and they're like, okay, you need a Web API project. You need to deploy that puppy yourself. You need to know a little bit about how that works. That was a little complicated. And for the simpler apps, you still have easy tables. And if you need something more complex, you need total control, then you can still pull down that Web two, web API 2 back in, make all the custom tweaks you want, and publish that puppy up to App Service.
2: Now, did you guys have any apps running Parse at all? I know, I think originally you had messed around with it a lot, Pierce. I don't know if, you, and Mike James, I don't know if you guys, do you guys have anything, you guys have to make the transition at all?
1: No, I, I'm, I've been really lucky. So every time I've tried PARS, I've hit the limitation of not wanting to write JavaScript. So, because in order to really take advantage of pars, you've, you've got to, you know, go into the, into the Node.js uh, side of things. You can't just use their, their SDK. Otherwise you're going to be pulling vast uh, amounts of data in order to do your queries. Um, so... Yeah, I hit the limitation very early with all of my apps. And actually, beer drinking was originally built with PaaS. Um, and I had to swap it out because it just wasn't powerful enough. Um, and I found the biggest issue with it was the offline sync. Um, we take it for granted with Azure, but uh, the PARS guys never got that to work, um, which was a real shame because it's a feature that's really important to me with the apps I build. And it's so easy to do with Azure. So, yeah, never had to... Uh, Roll out an app using Parse, thankfully. So I'm not in a a sticky situation like some people will be. Mm.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting. Even though they're, they're they're recommending right now. I mean, I was reading some of their announcements uh, afterwards. Was to essentially they have partners with AWS and Heroku to transition and merge to another Parse server, and they updated up their client SDK to point to a a custom server, but. I mean, that's like essentially if you never want to advance your back I mean, I think that's where like a major win comes in with the dotnet backend. like you're saying, it's like, I don't want to write all the, the, the JavaScript. I mean, if you do want to write all the JavaScript, that's great if you're if you are a parse developer, but yeah. like you now know that there's literally no development being done on this thing. So what about bug fixes? What about you know what I mean? Yep. Sure, it's open source. Where do you get support? Gonna, I mean, it's dead. I mean, Facebook's yeah. They don't want to host your app. It's open source, and that's what they're going to say. It's like, hey, it's open source. Go fix the bugs. But that means, like, what happens when there's a security breach in it?
1: Yeah, it's uh, for me. It would be far too risky to. I'd I'd be using these 12 months to migrate to something else.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, cool. So that's what's been going on in .NET and also kind of the mobile backend as a service space in the last couple of weeks. So with that, let's transition over into C# six. So, James, what is C Sharp 6 all about?
2: Well, I think you kind of said it in the beginning. It was interesting. When I first learned C Sharp, uh, it was very early on. It was over a decade ago. So, we must have been C Sharp 2 or 3 or something like that. I don't even know if we had generics at the time, Uh, maybe. Hard to say, Uh, if you remember those days. I mean, those were days that existed. I mean, then generics came in. It was like, hey, hey, everything is better uh, and and awesome. And what's interesting is C Sharp 5, which was introduced not too many years ago, uh, with .NET 4.5 uh, is intriguing because that was essentially one huge feature. Right? There's a few attributes that they added for compiling, but it was essentially async await. It was this huge syntax of async await and all this jazz, which took a lot of developers, including myself some time to wrap my head around. It's, it's one of the most important concepts I believe today in c development uh, when you're you're writing code, never do dot result, bad, never do dot yeah. wait, bad. Uh, and you can go read exactly what you're doing because you're blocking threads, so stop that. But essentially, we're talking to like Mads and the, and the PMs of C Sharp and all this stuff. They really told me, they said, well, the theme of this is to clean up your code. It's not about introducing huge new concepts. It's about small things that you you can take advantage of on a daily basis that you may not even know that you're just like, that should have always worked. Uh, but it's small things that will help clean up your code a little bit and just kind of makes writing C Sharp code even more enjoyable than uh, it already has in the past. So there's not, again, any huge, huge concepts. The most the biggest concept to maybe wrap your head around is the null propagation, which is probably one of my favorites. I'm a big fan of a few other things like uh, expression body members. But I think there's some there's some things in C Sharp already that make us stand out as a programming language, such as auto properties, um async await, weight. And of course, our try catch finalies. And some really cool things that you can do with using statements. So I think there's been enhancements all around that. And uh, this comes out specifically with VS 2015, Xamarin Studio, uh, and it is a correlation with .NET 4.6 release. Uh, but you don't need .NET 4.6 to run C code because everything is basically being powered by Roslyn at this point. But have you guys been experimenting? Like, what, what's your guys' take on the development experience for for you guys? Like, are you guys using a lot of C Sharp? I go into a lot of user groups and conferences. I go, hey, how you know how many of you guys are using C Sharp six, guys and gals, and 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 you get maybe ten percent of the audience. And I go, how many how many of you guys here are using Visual Studio twenty fifteen? It's like you know eighty percent. I was like, guess what? You're all using C Sharp six. You're just not using any of the features.
1: <laughs> but. Surely most of the people in the audience are going to have ReSharper installed and ReSharper Mm. will help you transition um, and help you learn the new syntax uh, and make the suggestions. So if, you know, if 80% of the audience have 2015, they probably, you know, a good chunk of them have ReSharper. There's no excuse. It literally tells you in the RDE, hey, we can make this code better. And and normally what that means is you're going to take a large chunk of code that you've written and it's going to put it down to like one line.
2: Yeah. It's like almost sometimes too scary. I don't even I don't even mess with the resharpers anymore. I'm I'm playing Jane Visual Studio 2015 added a few things that I like. Uh, There's some things I miss that when I go back to Xamarin Studio that see like that the Xamarin Studio is like in between. It's like in between the resharper and in between the Visual Studios Mm. where it tells you just enough but not enough to be like, I don't know what my code's doing anymore. And that's just, you know, sometimes r is like, I'm going to take that 18 lines and now it's one link statement. You're like, oh my goodness, what happened? Um, <laughs> but I mean, I think I think we can all say, you know, uh, if we look at some of the features, we can go through them uh, specifically, and I'll talk about just a few of them really, but like auto properties we've always had. I think you start looking at Android code specifically. So I'm an Android guy and, and I port a lot of Java code over to C-Sharp often, or I have to look at uh, Google reference docs when new stuff's coming out. So you always see... Get name, set name, this, that, you know, it's it's like, whoa, what's going on here? And we've always had just getters and setters. So you say public string name, get set and the backing fields created for you, all that stuff very, very closely tied to MVVM when you're doing property change notifications. But there's always been a few problems. Specifically, you always have this like private set thing. If you didn't want it to be exposed to actually be able to set it outside of your class. And and then you can never have a get without a set. Just because, you know, no yep. reason. So they, they've solved that. They said, you know, you can just have a get. And, and and essentially, if you just do a get, that essentially is a private set. So you can still set it in the constructor. So it's a read-only property backing field. Um, and and it's automatically set as private. You don't have to worry about it. And, and it's good to go. You can't just have a set, obviously. But you can have a get by itself. You can have it with, with the set, without the set. doesn't matter. Totally good to go. Uh, And then probably the biggest thing is auto property initializers because now you're like, well, what if I need to initialize these properties? I have this big constructor that has to get called. And if I have override constructors, I have to set it everywhere. So, that was kind of annoying for us as C Sharp developers because it was this, maybe you have like 100 properties because you're going to be deserializing JSON. Well, now you got to set all these strings to string.empty because the default is null. And you're like, oh, man. Uh, So, now what you can do is you say public string name, get or get set, and after your final squiggly, you just say equals some arbitrary string, whatever you want, in line right after it. So now when you're going and you're looking at code and you do tool tips to hover over, you do a you know go to definition, you don't have to search in the constructor to see where it's at. It could be anywhere in your code file. There's your default value. Thank you, have a good day. Super simple, just like very, very, see like small tweaks, just very small things. So. I have these huge constructors, let's put them right in line, and I've reduced my code file by 20, 30 lines, just for simplicity's sake.
0: Yeah, and I think it increases the readability as well, because it's just right there, right? You don't have to dig around and look for it. It's just in line right next to the property name, and you're like, okay, it makes sense. That's what it is initialized as. So it's a big readability increase as well.
2: Yeah,
1: I I think that's true for all of C-sharp 6, to be honest. I think everything that's been added has made it a far more readable language and it's far more succinct. It's, you know, (coughs) really when you compare it next to objective C, you really notice just how how few lines you have to write with C-sharp compared to uh, other languages.
2: Yeah. And the nice thing is that a lot of these things are cascading, um, kind of a cascading effect. So a good one is expression-bodied functions and expression-bodied properties. Uh, methods and things like that essentially this says we're doing a lot of romancing uh, i don't know i don't know how about you guys have felt over the last you know 10 years of writing c-sharp code but we have a lot of squigglies and uh, sometimes for no reason literally you'll have a method called print and uh you'll do some squiggly and you'll say right you'll do like system dot diagnostics whatever dot right line all right and then you write some arbitrary data out and you're like, man, why do I have four lines of code for this one thing? And then why do I have this like system dot, you know, console, you know, console dot right line like this like, static properties. So this one's a little bit harder to visualize, um, but I'm sure in the, in the show notes, you'll point to some slide decks and some C sharp six references. But imagine our name, uh, this, you know, let's say this print method, instead of saying public void print, open close paren and then squiggly squiggly, You just use our good friend, our little lambda arrow. I don't know what the name of that puppy is. Do you guys know? I call it the. It's an arrow. It's a lambda arrow, you know? Mm. And uh, what you then say is do do anything after this. So right in one single line of code, you say public void print. You can pass it arguments if you want to. And then right after it, whatever your method is. Okay? And then you can do that with properties, though, too. Because how often... Do we just have just a get or something like that or we just need to get a property back there's really no why are we even doing a get if you know why so you can say public string name no longer have a get just do your lambda arrow and boom there it is and guess what it's a read-only backfield like it's done like you don't even have to use get anymore because they've simplified it so much like wow. we just want some art yeah we just want some data that's there and, and that's it mm. so my favorite example of that is you know i've taken my with all of these features, there's a whole lot more. But my my classic case is I notify property changed, okay? It's an event that you implement, a lot for Forms. but you implement on property change notification, you check the the thing against null, and if it's not null, then you invoke the event and you do all this stuff. And it used to be like five, six lines of code, and, and everyone's writing it a little bit different. Now it's a single line of code. Like, it's amazing. Oh, it's crazy. But imagine like all these things that literally you may just return null or you may throw an exception you have all these squiggles. you're taking just lines of code for no reason just put it after the the lambda the arrow and you're done it's great and and as you see this cascading effect down they've tried to also simplify statics in our life and and i have a lot of static helper methods and inside of net there's there's a lot already you know you think of some debug council um, day of week enums, you know, things like that. So I have a utils class all the time. You may think of math. Math, you have like cosine, sine. You have, you know, you know the max, the min, all these things that you can do on math functions. Instead of writing this arbitrary console dot write line, debug dot write line, day of week dot Tuesday. I'm pretty sure Monday is Monday and Friday is Friday. Why do I need to know that it's a day of week? I can now go up into my using statements. There's new a new hot word that says using static. And whatever the static namespace is of the class, so you can say using static system.console and using static system.day of week. And you no longer ever have to write console dot. You just say write line. So now our print method, which used to be public void print, squiggly, console.write line, squiggly, is now public void print, lambda arrow, right line, done. That's it. Mm. boom. It's very lovely, it's very yeah. lovely. And uh, as you start using expression-bodied functions, you know, it's, it's just when a, a thing has to do one thing, that's it, when it has to do one line of code. So if you have multiple lines of code, you could do ternary operators, things like that inside of it, that's totally fine. But when you have to do more than one line of code, you should really be on multiple lines. What, what essentially this C-Sharp team is saying is, when you just have a single line of code, why do we need four, <laughs> you know? So I think that's kind of the the mind space that they're in. It's like let's just simplify it and make it more readable because when you see it in one line of thing, you know it's like what's you know print and you see it writing line, it's not getting mixed up and all this stuff. It's just boom right there.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, along those lines, string interpolation, which is another C sharp feature, helps to improve that as well, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, so string interpolation is an interesting one because it exists in other languages. This isn't like a new crazy uh, thought process. Uh, but for C Sharp developers, this is a major win for us, especially when it comes to refactoring. You know, Mike's talking a lot about uh, ReSharper, for instance. And uh, for a long time, we've always done string formatting. You can think about string interpolation as super enhanced string formatting. In previous days, we would say string.format. And then we'd say pierce lives in squiggly you know squiggly uh bracket zero bracket and then comma location like some some data we could pass another string so you're taking a string and you're replacing it so you could do zero one two three four it gets all these numbers so for instance you could even replace like pierce so often you have like a first name last name so you're doing string format squiggly zero space squiggly one you know, bracket one, you know, and then you're like first name lesson with a space in between. But I mean, wouldn't it just be really nice if you just had your property and put it right into the string formatting? So essentially what string interpolation does is it brings your properties into your actual string formatting. And you can literally just delete string.format with a dollar sign. And that's the the, the, the compiler keyword to say, we're about to do some string interpolation and then move your properties inline and replace your zero, one, two. And what's really cool on that is that, of course, you can then cascade that and you can do, you can, uh, do any sort of logic. You can do two strings, you could do ternary operators in it, you could do um, all sorts of other string formatting inside of it, anything that you want, um, which is very cool as long as you stay inside those squigglies. And Visual Studio 2015, and Xamarin Studio uh, 6, the one that's the Roslyn preview that's out. Which is uh, beautiful. It is very beautiful. Dark theme now available. I'm not a dark theme guy, but uh, it's there. Oh, it's so nice. <laughs> They've redone like 6,000 icons, I think.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite it, a lot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. that's, got, that's got all the C Sharp 6 features in it. it Has because it's based on Roslyn. So it, it yeah. started to get those analyzers to be able to make the similar kind of suggestions at, uh resharper makes with on on Windows.
2: Yeah, exactly. So essentially now when you do a squiggly, if you're if you're in Xamarin Studio 5, which is the current stable release, um, five dot whatever number when you do the squiggly, it's not going to tell you name or location, whatever your properties are. It doesn't know it'll compile just fine. So inside of your code, but in Visual Studio or Xamarin Studio 6, it literally has all of your properties, all the string formatting, everything just like you want, um, which is super awesome. But i think really i mean probably the biggest win and i know every time i do a blog post on it 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 kind of blows some people's minds but uh essentially is the uh null condition operator the the elvis
1: operator
2: yes the elvis operator because if you yeah it's it's a question mark dot if and and, yeah so you literally say all right so let's take a scenario um you're mike's making an app called beer drinking I'm sure the, the 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 public is aware of this in some form or fashion. You came onto my <laughs> podcast talking about, or to Motsco's live talking about it. So you got this amazing app coming out, and you're you have lots of data, you know, that's coming in. So you may have a beer that has like a vendor, or, or, or you know, maybe it has whoever's brewing it, the company, things like that. And these are actual physical objects. But let's say someone hasn't inserted that data into the database, into Brewery DB. So now you get this beer back, but the actual brewer is null. But in your code, you're just saying, all right, I want to display this string. So I literally do beer.brewer.name, and it should output the name. Because that's what it should do. That's our expectation. Yeah,
1: we're assuming that, bre- that there is a brewery object attached to the beer.
2: Yeah, why wouldn't there be? You yeah. know, But what if there's not? And what's going to happen is that's going to throw an exception. And then your app is going to get rejected from the app store because... Cause you know, Apple doesn't like you and your app crashed. And then you're going to have to wait another 14 days and try all over again. And what you could have done is you could have said beer question mark dot. So a question mark in front of your beer of your brewery is an automatic null check for it. Additionally, you could have then said, uh, beer question mark dot brewery question mark dot name and if any of those are null so if your beer is null if your brewery is null um then it will be null if not it will continue to dot yeah further in so it's like nested
1: if statements but all condensed down to one line of code
2: yes exactly so previously you would have had to say if beer equals equals null uh if it does not equal null and and the brewery does not equal null then put out the string but of course you can even mix this with our uh null coalesce which I always forget which is the double question mark so then you can say you know question mark dot name question mark question mark string dot empty so if any three of those things are null it's string dot empty else it's just the name nice one line of code imagine now you can see the cascading effects, because often in methods, what are we doing? Checking against null, yep. and then returning a statement. So now you just do null condition checks along the way, and done, it's all in this in one line of code, and it's good to go. You can additionally take this thing further, and you can do it on events. So for instance, if you, if you never want to invoke a method, because maybe the property changed event is null, or maybe a person's null, and you need to call a method, you can just do question mark dot. It's not like you're even setting a property, you're just calling a method, but if the thing's Null, don't do it. Yeah. And then if you're indexing in on something, what if you're doing it you a list of beers and you said beers sub zero, right? You index in on zero. But what if that thing is null or what if it doesn't exist? You can put a question mark in front of your index sub zero. And that will check to make sure that that your customers uh is not null and that there's something that actually exists inside of sub-zero. It, it's it's crazy. If customers is null, then it's null. Just like let it. Let it be, and then you can, of course, put that all together. You know, null checks stink. It's way better. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's it's actually my favorite feature of C sharp six, and it was the one that I jumped on straight away because it it really does solve so many problems. Because if you do if you do it properly, you're going to minimize the amount of times you'll see null reference exceptions
2: yeah yeah totally and, and to be honest i use insight you know we came on and we were talking about insights i think that was the last time i was on the podcast uh when pierce was on holiday and uh i i updated an app that i had built four years ago uh and i put a lot of insights into it because insights wasn't out four years ago obviously and uh i had other crash reporting stuff in there but i took it out because it wasn't very helpful for me i wasn't getting my my native and my managed crash reports back Uh, so I put this in there and immediately I'm just seeing all these null reference exceptions. I mean, that is literally, you could just literally search insights for null reference exception. I had like 50 or 60 of them everywhere in my code and it's all these edge cases and maybe iOS is, you know, it was on iOS app. So maybe iOS is like just killing the screen after some time, but I'm not properly reinflating it and things like that. Um, or I just never set something to null. There was one, literally, if someone did an action, I had this little toast come up. And I never checked to see if the view was null, or I was never setting it. So no matter what, for the last four years, I would always crash the app every (laughs) single time. And like, I just had never experienced it. And I just went through my code. And every single line, Xamarin Insights told me that I had a null reference exception. It literally tells you the line of code. You just put a question mark, and you're like, no more crash. You know, of course, I react accordingly if it's null or something like that. But often, it's just some property that didn't exist that I just need to return string.empty to or something like that. And I literally crashed like a, I fixed 100 crashes in, in uh in like, man, like two weeks. It's crazy. Just with that one C sharp six feature. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of other little ones that you may be finding on a day to day basis, too. So, I think, you know, those are the major ones. I think when, you know, it, it, it pretty much rings a bell when it's like, that's the easiest one that you can hop on would be string interpolation, the auto properties, and then of course uh, uh, the null propagation. But there's things like, for instance, we can finally use async await and fi- inside of uh, finally blocks, which is very helpful for Xamarin Forms when you need to do pop notifications or something like that. This is just something that you can never do before. You could, you know, uh, you couldn't do them in catches, and you couldn't do them in finally blocks, but now you can. Just code, code will just work. So thanks, C# team. Apparently, it wasn't. It was just an implementation detail, but they finally did it. There's some crazy things like exception filters. I don't really understand when you would use those, but you can say catch this type of exception only in a certain state. I just like to catch everything. Just catch catch them all. all. Catch them all. Gotta catch, catch them all.
0: Cameron inside.
2: Did you see the brand new Japanese uh, Pokemon detective TV show? I have not. No, there's a trailer. I highly recommend everyone go do this. Uh, It's it's from Nintendo and it's literally a Sherlock Pikachu.
1: What? Yeah, I I don't believe you. And he has
2: a super deep voice. It's very strange. (laughs) It's very strange. He's like, but no, he's like, Pikachu. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I was like, oh, it's crazy but it's the most adorable thing ever. Anyways, I haven't watched oh. the Japanese epi- episode. I got to wait for subtitles, but I'm all about it. Um, which actually reminds me cuz it's about the 25th anniversary or so, 20th anniversary of Pokemon this year. Uh, and there's a great article on Kotaku about the missing no, which is uh this random Pokemon. And and it, it's it's actually interesting how missing no came about. And it's for missing number, and essentially everything uh, how they were storing all this data was you know, in chunks of of, of, of the registry. So you, everything was 2, 4, uh, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256. So you can uh, allocate this much memory, okay? And that's pretty intriguing. So the problem is they were storing all these Pokemon names and, and the numbers in there based on these digits. But if you know, there's 151 Pokemon. Some debate because of Mew and Mewtwo. But uh, in general you can't fit 151 and 128. So what they did is they obviously allocated this table and this block of, of memory to be 256. And wh- what they did is every time you're randomly, you're searching for stuff, there'd be a random, like the random encounters to actually grab one of those Pokemon. Now the missing note came about because of how you would, the name was stored, your name as a, as a player is stored. And what's interesting, it goes really deep into the programming logic of how it actually happened but essentially there's a part in the game in the very beginning we can go talk to this guy this old guy, old man was his name you can go talk to him he'll teach you how to catch pokemon things like that and what was interesting is there was literally a one little piece of of strip of land or actually the sea the coast that you could go up and down on that didn't have any pokemon uh registered to be the random so it's like this unknown area all right so when When the game went into a mode of not knowing, it would just pick a random Pokemon out. That was never supposed to go go into this situation. Now the problem actually occurs because when you go talk to this old man, they temporarily change your name in the game to old man. And they save your name to a random block in that 256 that they allocated earlier on. So what happens is when you go in there, it's trying to find a Pokemon, it doesn't, and it like finds this name and based on this different characters, it'll return a specific missing note to you. It's very interesting, uh, you know, programming. If you think about how games were made 20 years ago, it's mind blowing. Anyways, that's not C-sharp six. So there's a few other things. Um, probably the only last one to really talk about would probably be Name Of. Have you guys used Name Of yet?
1: Uh, I haven't, but that's because I'm not doing a, a huge amount of MVVM, which is where I think it, it is most useful. Mm.
2: Yeah, name of essentially, it's, it's useful in two cases, definitely in MVVM when you have to um, switch case over something that's a string and, and, you know, you need to actually just say, oh, name of is busy instead of doing a hard coded string is busy. You can wrap the actual, you say name of just like type of, right? You think of type of, what is this type of this name? And it's oh, it's a string. You can say name of and name of essentially is what is the actual, the name, the two string of that name, essentially as it so be is busy so often in your code you have a lot of things such as uh all right so if the count is null or the beers are null you're going to throw a new argument null exception and then you'll say beers because that was the argument that was the actual argument passed in so now you can just say throw a new argument null exception name of beers because if you do it the other way where you hard code a string and let's say you do some refactoring If you don't have resharper or some really advanced resharping tool, it doesn't know to replace your strings. It's just literally a string, and it's not gonna know to actually do the matching. So now when you say name of, it'll actually refactor throughout all of your code. So that's a really cool one that's in there. Yeah, there's a lot more too. There's a lot of little tiny features uh, that I've been using now for a long time, but man, I cannot wait until C-sharp seven. Oh my goodness, they're already talking about it. Tuples, proper pattern matching non-nullables i don't even want to talk about non-nullables that's going to blow people's mind imagine a world where you had a method mike james and you could you could guarantee guarantee via the compiler that you would never receive something that was null impossible surely called non nullable i want that c sharp 7 proposal check it out
0: amazing So if you listen to this podcast today, you're like, C Sharp 6, this is awesome. How do I start using it today? Whether I'm using Visual Studio or Xamarin Studio, how do I get started with C Sharp 6?
1: Well, it's it's built into Visual Studio 2015, so you don't need to do anything more than just use the IDE. Um, And if you're a Xamarin user, so you're using Xamarin Studio, then you're gonna wanna have uh, the preview in order to support it within the IDE, but it's already supported in version five of Xamarin Studio, but you just don't get the lovely uh, fixing of code and suggestions. Uh, but you you can compile and run valid C-sharp six.
2: Yeah, you get some, some IntelliSense, just a tiny bit, just a little bit, a li- like enough a, to, a little bit.
1: Enough to think, make you think that you've got it all, but not
2: quite. But not quite, no. It really it really does not like expression bodied things. It really does not, does not like that. But Elvis operator works extremely well, um, I will say. Uh, But besides that, yeah, the the Roslyn preview is the way to go. And uh, if you're using Visual Studio 2013 or 2012, uh, upgrade to 2015. It's free. It's called Community Edition of Visual Studio. Do not use old versions of Visual Studio. Every time you do, uh, I pour a coffee down the drain. It makes me sad. So every time, just...
0: This has been another edition of the Xamarin Podcast. I'm Pierce Bogan. I'm Mike James.
2: I'm James Montemagno.
0: Thanks for listening.